prize. I've already got the prize. The prize is the pleasure of finding a thing out. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. You realize when you know how to think, it empowers you far beyond those who know only what to think. All right, we are live. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome back to another episode of Griffins and Gluons. I'm your host, Elliot. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'm very excited because today we have two very special guests. First off, I'm joined by Dr. Joanne O'Meara. Dr. O'Meara holds a bachelor's with honors in applied physics and a PhD in medical physics from McMaster University, and later went on to do a postdoctoral study at the Department of Nuclear Engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Currently, she's a professor at the University of Guelph, where she teaches upper-level physics, coordinates program curriculums, and is a founding member of Royal City Science, where she helps communicate and educate science to the younger demographics. She's also a recipient of the 3M National Teaching Fellowship, an editor and reviewer for the, National Science, the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council and the Canada Foundation for Innovation, as well as appearing regularly on the Discovery Channel's hit show, Daily Planet. Dr. Amira, thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much. No worries. Okay, you got to give me a second. That was a mouthful. Uh, I, I even have it in my notes here that says pause for dramatic effect. Uh, so <laughs> that deserves gonna... a little... <laughs> a little bit of a clap. Um, yeah. And so that's one out of two. Next up, we have Miss Melanie Hudakoch. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. Is that is that correct? Uh, Hudakoch. But yeah. Hudakoch? Yeah, oh, okay, okay. I was going through like all the Slavic last name pronunciation, <laughs> just trying to get it right. But that works too. Miss well, Hudakoch. The flattering way to pronounce it is how you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. <laughs> Um, all right, sorry. So Ms. Hudakak completed her Bachelor of Physics from the University of Guelph in 2020, where she was the Vice President of Communications for the Physics and Astronomy Club and a frequent guest sorry, on the department's YouTube channel, FIGU. Under the tutelage of Dr. Omira, she performed research in physics education and is currently a student research assistant for Dr. Elizabeth Nichol. Ms. Hudakak, thank you so much, so much for being on the show. No problem. Nice and short <laughs> compared to <laughs> I am a little right. bit older than you, Mel. <laughs> no, only like five years older. No, no, no worries. It's a resume in the making, of course. So uh, <laughs> that was overly formal. We're going to revert to first names. Um, so we're just going to continue with that. And if you guys don't mind, we're just going to jump right into the questions. Yeah. Um, so first off, towards you, Joanne. In February of this year, you did an interview with the department about your backstory and work. And you mentioned that your career as a teacher and researcher has taken you to some relatively unique positions, such as working with animals, educating young children, uh, and even working with Gulf War veterans. Uh, and so on that, what would you say is sort of the weirdest, wackiest, least conventional place that your work has taken you? Um, in terms of physics research, I would say over to the barns across Gordon Street, uh, where the veterinary college has what they call their teaching herd. Uh, so it's a herd of cows, cattle that they use for teaching purposes. Um, and I was working on a collaborative project with a veterinarian on figuring out whether we could detect silver in cow udders 
Um, so I checked across the street with our very delicate solid state detector. Um, and actually, I didn't tell my colleague Ian Campbell that I was going until afterwards because they figured <laughs> he probably didn't want a cow to put its foot through the very thin window that protects the detector. <laughs> so we did the measurement and uh, you know, we had got a couple of papers out of it on measuring silver. Uh, the first author was an undergrad student who was working with me for the summer. Um, and it was a really fun, interesting project. But yes, um, holding a very expensive solid state detector underneath the back end of a cow was probably the most interesting location I've found myself. Fair enough. And and sort of f from that interview, you also talked about working with Gulf War veterans. Can you just sort of give a quick brief description on, on what exactly you did? Yeah. So my background is in measuring heavy metals, um, usually in people. So the application to cows was a very unique wealth twist on my field. Um, but yes, my background in my PhD was in developing techniques to measure heavy metals in people who are occupationally exposed. Um, so I built a system to measure uranium uh, in people who are occupationally exposed. And it was very specifically in collaboration with Veterans Affairs in the States because they uh, used depleted uranium in warfare uh, in the first Gulf War, uh, and they had soldiers who were hit by friendly fire and came home. Many of them died, um, but those who survived came home and they had shrapnel that might contain depleted uranium, which is an incredibly toxic substance. So there was a big uh, research project that looked at a lot of different aspects of it. Uh, and we got involved to see whether we could actually tell whether individual pieces of shrapnel had uranium or not. So it was a, a elemental analysis technique. If That's you look at an x-ray, you can see that it's dense, but it doesn't tell you what the elements are in that metal. Right. right. That's very interesting. No, thank you for that. I, I'm sure a lot of people are very grateful for that as well, a lot of veterans. But um, to move on to sort of a lighter note, um, there's a quote actually by the great modern economist, Dr. Thomas Sowell, uh, who said that one of the best things about having a degree from Harvard is that you're no longer impressed when someone says they have a degree from Harvard. Um, and analogously, as someone who went to MIT, which is an institution that is basked in Hollywood romanticism, everyone, you know, brings it out. It's just, it's just known as, as a premier institution. Are you still impressed when people say they went to MIT? <laughs> Uh, for sure. I mean, it's a great institution. Um, I was there for almost two years and uh, it was, I made a lot of friends from the grad students who were in the lab at the time, uh, researchers. Uh, I got to learn how to run a linear accelerator, which was pretty cool. Um, I developed a lot of interesting skills and a lot of collaborations. Um, so yeah, it was great. Uh, I will say that my time in Boston and Cambridge uh, made me realize how much I loved teaching because the position was 100% research. And uh, with, I mean, I was supervising, I was helping to supervise grad students. So there's a little bit of a teaching element there, but I really missed being um, 
in the classroom and in the lab with with undergrads. So that was a worthwhile experience too. And did you find that you took some of the, the techniques that you saw in sort of your the older, more experienced professors? Did you take some of those techniques and bring those to Guelph when you began teaching here? So I didn't take any classes at MIT. I was doing all research. So I, I mean, I certainly sat in on a lot of seminars in terms of um, visiting researchers, which was great. I would say that I learned a lot from people I learned from at McMaster, where I did my undergrad and my PhD. And then actually, after I finished my PhD, before I started MIT, I taught for a semester in Bermuda at Bermuda College, which was a really great experience. It was um, totally trial by fire. <laughs> it's like I arrived on the island about three days before classes started. I'm like, here you go. Here's what you're doing. Um, so it was definitely uh, a steep learning curve. But the people I was working with there were really great about um, helping me get used to a totally different culture and um, learn my way around, but also giving great tips on how to engage with students in the classroom. Nice. So Mel, we're going to move on to you real quick. Uh, first off, congratulations on graduating and completing your physics degree last year and, and still in progress from what I understand as well. But, you know, officially you're graduated. It happened. Um, That's what I tell and, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously there must have been many incredible experiences along the way. But in particular, I wanted to ask you about your involvement in the physics club and the elephant toothpaste world record experiment that happens. <laughs> or that happened. Um, how did that come to light? You know, wh and what was sort of the reaction um, to you know the university and the club being in the spotlight for a bit? So that actually started. The idea started when I took Joanne's IPS three thousand course, which is a science communication course. And so the goal was to teach science to elementary school students in a fun way and have interactive um, elements to it. And so my group uh, with Joelle Easter and Adam Boucher, we came up with the idea of doing an elephant's toothpaste experiment, which is, you know, a little chemistry experiment. You get a little explosion and it's really fun to look at. And so it's, uh, it's a pretty popular experiment. We thought it would be fun to show the kids. And so we did like an at-home experiment using 30% hydrogen peroxide and we used yeast as our catalyst. And, uh, our experiment was pretty fun. Like the kids loved it. And we later showed that at the museum in Guelph. And then Orbax, uh, who's pretty famous in Guelph, um, he kind of took a look at that and saw the potential to go big, <laughs> as he always does. And so uh, we all kind of put our brains together and decided that we could go for the world record. And uh, we did it. Not for long. It was shortly taken afterwards, but we did it. <laughs> no, that's great and, and a tremendous achievement in itself. So congratulations. But uh, moving on to your work with prof not Professor Orbax. <laughs> I made that mistake. Ses sessional lecturer Orbax. Because mm -hmm. I made that mistake in the first episode. Um, so you were a VP of communications for the physics club. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also appeared on FIGU, as we mentioned before. And you had a little uh, segment called Tips and Tricks with Mel. <laughs> and so I was hoping, if you don't mind, if we can do a little Tips and Tricks with Mel, end of the world edition. 
or corona or coronavirus <laughs> edition no matter <laughs> you, you pick the title just rapid fire answers first thing that comes off your uh comes off the top of your head yeah and, and joanne please feel free to jump in if you have one as well so um <laughs> Um, so first thing is how to stay focused when you feel imprisoned in your room all day. You have any tips for that? Uh, music, Netflix, and take breaks. And take breaks. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are feeling this. I feel dumb. I'm not learning anything. I'm unmotivated. You know, what, how do I, how do I keep, why should I keep going? What, what's the point? Um, I think everybody feels that in their undergrad. There's definitely points where you lose focus as to why you started but you just have to remember that it is a low point and when you get to those highs you're going to feel like it's the biggest accomplishment in the world so um at those low points don't beat yourself up everyone goes through this school isn't meant to be easy it's hard and everyone experiences that so it's not just you you're not alone reach out for help when you need it and uh, keep going um, a lot of professors and lecturers are taking advantage of the open book type exam examination strategy now. Um, do you have any tips on how to optimize? You know, you have an open book, you know, a lot of people rummage through the textbook, like, oh, where do I go? Where do I go? Do you have any tips on how to make, you know, your open book examination more effective? Yeah, I think people, when they hear open book, they think that they don't need to study for it. But open book tests are usually a lot harder. Um, so I would say study more than you would for a regular exam and have your notes ready, make it accessible. I color code and I'm a big sticky note person. There's sticky notes all over my room. Um, so keep organized because especially if there's a time limit, you want to know exactly where to flip, what to look for and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I would say the more you prepare, the more you'll know where to find stuff, um, when you're working on the open book exam. Yeah. Right. Um, the last question, arguably the most important one is, uh, help. I've binged watch everything on Netflix, even the obscure stuff, all the foreign films, all the anime, whatever you pick, I'm done. I've exhausted it. What do I do now? <laughs> um, I think if you've exhausted all that, I think it's time to do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but if you're looking for more stuff to like get your mind off of school, um, physical activity, go for walks, um, Zoom calls, you know, call your parents, call your family, anything you can do to kind of relax yourself. And listen to some great podcasts. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Wonderful. Uh, awesome. So that solved all my problems. Moving <laughs> on to the next topic. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I wanted to talk a bit, one of the reasons why I wanted both of you on is because, um, from what I understand, um, Mel, you performed a undergraduate research project, uh, and, uh, Joanne, you were the supervisor or, or, and you worked with her on it. And, uh, I, I'll, I'll let you describe it, of course, but from what I understand, you were studying sort of the outcomes, um, for two different streams of students. One took the IPS, um, integrated math and physics courses in first year. The other took separate math and physics and kind of sort of map and see how they perform later on. So can you give us a bit of a rundown on your hypothesis, your method, and sort of the outcome that, that came from that experiment? Yeah, I guess I can start. And if Joanne wants to pop in at any point, feel free. Um, so I, when I joined physics, I started in another program. I was in the arts and science um, bachelor's degree. 
and I loved physics. I was going to like use the science portion of that degree towards physics, but I didn't resonate with any of the um, arts subjects. And so at that point, I thought switching into physics what was was what was right for me. And um, but because I had taken physics 10, uh, 1080 at the time, I didn't I wasn't able to go into IPS. So I kind of did my own version of first year and started second year like all the other students. And I noticed that I was a little bit behind in some areas. And um, throughout my degree, I always thought about that because I, I loved physics. And the more I took, I think by the time I finished my degree, I was in love more than when I wanted to switch and I appreciated it more. And so I wanted to do a research project that would hopefully one day help students who wanted to go into physics have an easy path into that. Um, so the first step for that was to do a research project to identify whether or not there are knowledge gaps uh, between the two routes. Um, so we tested, we gave the same diagnostic test, which was uh, questions from a database that were tested, uh, widely tested. And so we gave the same diagnostic test to the IPS students and to the physics 1080 students, and we compared their results. And because it happened right around the start of the pandemic, there were some um, aspects that may have affected the research. So we can't say that the results are conclusive, but we did find that there was uh, certain gaps primarily in electricity and magnetism between the two groups. And so with that, uh, we suggest that there should be supplementary aids for students who switch in. And hopefully within time, um, there could be more materials made to kind of bridge that gap for students who come in from a different stream. And uh, I, I know, Joanne, that you were a big part of bringing the IPS program earlier uh, into fruition. I, I believe when you were, correct me if I'm wrong, when you first signed on as a second year cord or first or second year coordinator, uh, I, I may have my timeline wrong about that. But uh, um, did, did this sort of reveal some things that weren't first accounted for when the curriculum was brought to, to fruition Honestly, initially? I think it's something that we've kind of known about in the department for quite some time. Um, so yeah, it was part of the development of the IPS program. Originally, the idea was it was going to be uh, three courses in one. It was going to be chemistry, math, and physics. Uh, and then for various reasons, it ended up as what it is today, which I think is a fantastic way to do first year um, for students going into physical sciences. But before we had that course, we already had two different pathways. Um, and when students came through the physics for biological sciences route and then identified themselves to us saying they'd like to switch and do second year ENM and mechanics. Um, as the student advisor, I would often meet with them at the end of first year if they, you know, said they wanted to do this. Uh, and I would sit down and give them some materials to work on over the summer from the first year book that we were using in the physical sciences and just to kind of try and help them get ready for second year, because it is a big step. It's a big step for going from IPS to uh, mechanics and electricity, magnetism and thermal physics. So we kind of knew anecdotally, uh, but Mel really took it um, rigorously and tried 
progressed despite the pandemic <laughs> to identify really the crucial areas where there are deficiencies or gaps. And um, now that we have that sort of concrete information with, you know, the asterisks of research conducted during COVID, um, we can now really sit down and try and come up with some helpful tools for our students who want to take that route. Right. So no, no, that's that's great. And and if someone who who didn't take IPS and and had to do them differently, and there was a bit of a culture shock, I, I salute you. Thank you. Yeah, it would have um, been me too, honestly, because when I started at Mac, um, we just did a first year general first year, and I had no intention of going on into physics in first year. I totally thought I was going into life sciences. Um, so right. I wouldn't have taken the physical science students either. And uh, do you think, uh, like we mentioned before, do you think a lot of research coming out will be sort of a bit, do you think people will use the, you know, done during COVID asterisks and go, you know what, we've done enough. This is conclusive. The earth is flat, done during COVID, so it's not our problem, that kind of thing. Well, I think with any research, whatever the discipline, there's always... Um, you know, it opens new questions. Like that's the beautiful thing about research, right? You, you have a question, you explore it, you find an answer, and that almost inevitably leads to six or seven new follow-up questions. So, yeah, there's definitely an asterisk on we had to scramble, completely change our approach um, in the last like three weeks of the semester. But that was true with everybody. No, that's great. Congratulations. Uh, so I had another question, but we are running out of time. Um, I don't have Zoom Pro, so we're gonna we're gonna move on. If anyone, by the way, if anyone wants to sponsor this podcast and pay for our <laughs> Zoom Pro, that'd be great. Um, but uh, just moving on the last two segments, so I wanted to I wanted to ask quickly about some of the implications and barriers for women in STEM right now. Uh, the way I see it, between the both of you, we have a very unique opportunity because uh, there's you. How do, I, how do I say this properly? There's sort of three generations of women in STEM. Starting with Joanne, you're part of the adult generation, the more experienced uh, generation. Mel, you represent the new graduates, um, sort of those trying to make carve their way in, in the STEM world. And uh, Joanne, your daughter, Mara, who's sort of your partner in crime um, with your show Amaze or Ask Me Anything uh, Science Edition, represents sort of the more upcoming generation of, of young, young girls in science. So I just wanted to know, without... With that big picture in mind, what does each generation sort of have to face uh, as a woman in STEM? Hmm, that's a big question. <laughs> um, Br briefly, you don't have to. You don't have to yeah, spend. It's, you know, it's a question I've really struggled with um, pretty much my whole time in in the physical sciences, going back to second year undergrad when I decided that that was the route I was going to take. I was one of, you know, pretty small number of women in our courses. Um, and yet it didn't, I mean, I was always welcomed by all of my colleagues, male or female, um, and all of my instructors were always great. I never really felt that I had been disadvantaged in any way. And yet, you know, when you take a step back and look at the big picture, you say, but why is it that there was only you know, three or four or five of us in a, in a classroom of 50. Um, 
and and that's a question that the community has been asking itself for a while now, and yet we're still, you know, haven't made a lot of progress in physics and computer science and math um, and some of the engineering disciplines. So to me, uh, watching my daughters grow up, I have a nine-year-old and a 15-year-old, to me, I think an important aspect of it is at the very young age and making sure that they don't see um, science as something that's not for them because I think they make the decision to go a certain route way before they get to university. Uh, so to me, trying to do something about the numbers is trying to do something about the numbers at a much younger age than first year university. Yeah, I think for me, I'm very lucky that I get to work with Joanne and work with um, women in STEM. And my generation is very lucky in the generations below me because we do have role models. And um, I know you mentioned I work with I worked with uh, Elizabeth Nickel and she told like she tells me stories where when she started, she was the first female physicist that was hired at this university and she would go to conferences and she was the only female of 700 male physicists. And she may, she jokes that, well, at least there's no lineups for the bathroom. Um, but we've definitely, we, we have a long way to go, but we've come far enough that I have, you know, her and Joanne to look up to. And um, so that's kind of why I got into like physics education. And I like doing the YouTube stuff. And I, I really enjoy that kind of stuff because it's because of women like Joanne and Elizabeth that, I'm passionate about what I do. And if I could do that for the generation after me, then I'm happy. And for the record, Mara is like Mel's biggest fan. Having some meetings in, in this, back in the like spring when we were wrapping up the research project and my daughter would like Zoom bomb. She'd be like, oh, it's Mel. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cutest. Oh, man. This is way too wholesome, so I need to interrupt it some way. No, no, that's that's great. That's wonderful answers. And and of course, these aren't very, these aren't necessarily new ideas. I mean, you go back to Plato's Republic in Athenian Greece, and they were still talking about, hmm, what if we, you know, made everything equal? What if we gave everybody the same opportunity? So these definitely aren't new radical ideas for sure. Um so that was great. Thank you. So to kind of finish up, uh, I wanted to ask about one last big announcement, uh, which was announced by Royal City Science. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, apparently you're, sorry, you're, you're building a science center, which, which, to quote, which to quote Orbax here says, it's like I keep saying, you don't have to go to Toronto to see a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I want to see one here in our city. And that's what we'll bring to you. So two questions. What's going on? And number two, should I watch Jurassic Park in preparation for this? What's, what's happening? Well, absolutely, you should watch Jurassic Park. Um, so, yeah, so Orbex and I have been working on outreach projects for the last few years together. Uh, and separately, we've each probably done like 20 ish years of outreach activities for members uh, from you know, kindergarten all the way up to you know, adult, senior. And 
one back in like January, I'm like, you know what? We have an art gallery and we have a performing arts center and we have a giant hockey arena. How come we don't have a science center? So we just started talking about the idea and we are talking about the idea with the people and everyone we talked to was like, yeah, why don't we have a science center? Um, and it just snowballed. So at the end of September, beginning of October, we officially incorporated as a not-for-profit organization, um, and we're working on our charitable status. And we announced last week to the community that we exist, and this is our plan, uh, or at least this is our goal. I don't know that we necessarily have concrete plan, um, but this is our goal, and we want to make it happen. We want to see it happen. So um, the response was phenomenal. Um, just huge uh, messages from the, through our website, um, social media views were amazing. Um, and so we're hopeful that we can we can build the momentum to actually make this happen. And uh, what's sort of the, the the timeline looking like? When uh, when can we expect to see something like this? Okay, so um, it really depends on money. <laughs> We don't have a lot of yet. Uh, we got our first grant last week, so that was exciting. But uh, it really depends on uh, whether we can find a building that we can renovate and, and move into, or whether we want to build something. Um, and obviously, the timelines would be totally different for those two things. Right. And and where can people go to support this project and either Jake donate or, or get the word around? So if you go to our website, royalcityscience.ca, there is a place there where you can give us your email address to join our uh, list. And if you go to, we're on Twitter at RoyalCitySci, and we're on Instagram at RoyalCityScience, um, and we'll be just updating everyone as developments happen. Nice. Um no, that is very exciting. So we will visit all that. We'll be sure to promote that with the uh, the physics club as well to make sure that goes through because that is very exciting. Um, and uh, on to you, Mel. What's what's next for you? You're you're finishing up. You're doing some undergraduate work with Dr. Nickel. What's 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 next? Um, that's that's the question, eh? That's that's like the Thanksgiving question when you come home and everyone asks that. <laughs> um. You know, like I always tell myself and I tell everyone else, I look at physics as a platform and you can do so much with it. You have, you're given so many transferable skills in it. And so I really don't want to put myself in a box. And that's kind of what I've been saying. I don't want to say like, this is definitively what I want to do because I want to do so much. And so I think I want to put my feet into different places kind of like tip my put my toe in the water and a bunch of different things so uh we'll see hopefully education in some form ends up in my future wonderful well i wish you the best on that if you're like Mel, you didn't necessarily have a plan or a great answer for that thanksgiving or christmas question don't worry because i for sure did not have a plan at the end of my undergrad um and you just kind of follow, you know, the next step and see where it takes. Nice. So, yeah, we, we wish you the best with that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure whatever you uh, whatever you find and pursue, you'll do well in. And uh, uh, thank you, by the way, um, not to brag, but 
technically we have your your job now, Mel. So we just wanted to know how how, how are we doing so far? You guys are doing fantastic, honestly. Uh, the change, the Elliot, the change in like changing up your questions, having to work with how much time we have, uh, and all the technical difficulties. I'm very impressed. I don't think everyone can uh, tell how much you had to change things up for this episode. So you're doing great. I mean, not going to lie, I I wrote more words for this than I did for any of my other assignments. So so that's just, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, that was great. I appreciate it. I I can't see you anymore because of the Zoom clocked out. But jokes on them, we're recording our audio somewhere else. So haha. Uh, But but that was great. So thank you so much. Um, Really appreciate you guys coming on. Where can the listeners sort of find more about you? I, I know, Joanne, you talked about Royal City Science, but uh, you personally, your work, your endeavors, and, and, and sort of the other things that you put out, where, where can we find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. My handle there is Neutronto. So you can find me on Twitter. I also have a blog that I write uh, about science of everyday things. Uh, it's called wonderwhy.ca. Um, and then you can find out about my research background on the physics of the website. So, yeah. Awesome. And, and Mel, where can we find you? Um, so unprofessionally, you guys can follow me on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> at Melanie Hudakok. That's M-E-L-A-N-I-E-U-D-A-K-O-C. Um, but I'm sure I'll be on YouTube for a bit with, uh, with Orbach. So, um, keep an eye out for me is what I have to say. And, and that'll be on the five view, the five view YouTube channel, correct? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, wonderful. So that should be it. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you, Mel, for coming on and I uh, really appreciate it. We wish you the best and uh, stay safe out there. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Thank you so much. This episode of Griffins and Gluons was brought to you by the Physics and Astronomy Club at the University of Guelph. Stay tuned on our Instagram and Discord to hear more about our events and fundraisers that will be happening all throughout this semester and next semester. Follow our Instagram at UOGPAC, that is UOGPAC, and our Discord UOFGPAC, that is UOFGPAC. Thank you so much for tuning in, we'll catch you in the next one. Take care.